Well, good morning. Man, it's been a great service so far, hasn't it? So I want to welcome you, and I'll just say we're so glad you're here, and I'll welcome everybody who's watching online. Thanks for being a part of, of our worship here at Central Community Church. And if you're a guest this morning, I just want to remind you back at, in the grand foyer there at um, our guest services, we have a gift for you. Um, we'd just love for you to consider making Central Community Church your, your permanent home. And so if this is your first or second or third time, or you just want a cinnamon roll, go back to, no, I'm just kidding. Go back to guest services and they'll help you out. All right, before I get into my message, though, I do need to make one announcement, okay? Um, you remember last week when I came up here, the first thing I said was is that Justin had to go and babysit the babies. And he told me he was actually carrying a baby, and I asked him, and they saw him, he was, he was carrying a baby, holding a baby, rocking a baby, okay? I asked him if he had to change the dirty diaper, and he said he didn't, so here's what I want to say. Our children's ministry is really growing, and part of the reason why Pastor Justin had to go help last week was because we don't have enough people in there volunteering. As our children's ministry grows, and it's going to get bigger and bigger, especially as we're getting closer and closer to getting that children's ministry um, room done, it's going to grow. So we need your help, okay? Now remember, God has given us all gifts, right? Say amen. amen. All right. And you know what? We're supposed to use those gifts because you know what? If you don't use it, you lose it. So, if you have a gift, and I know you may be scared to death, you know what, they'll, they'll give you all the training, but if you would like to help us out, and once you get in, it doesn't mean you're in there forever, okay? But if you would be willing to help us out and volunteer one or two or whatever the Lord puts in your heart, um, Deb and Elizabeth are going to be out in the back, and if you would just find them, um, they, will, they will be very, very thankful, and so will I, okay? All right, now, we're in the second week of our series on the book of Esther. Remember, Esther is one of two books in the Bible named for women. It's also one of two books where the name of God is never mentioned. Remember, we talked about that last week. But before I get into what we're going to talk about today, I want to remind you of what I told you last week about what God is getting ready to do. And I believe it more this week than I did last week. And here's what I want you to know. God is getting ready to call us as a church and he's getting ready to call you as an individual to step up to the plate for him, okay? I can't tell you exactly how that's gonna happen, but I do know and I believe with all my heart that's what is gonna take place. And so the book of Esther is what God has given to us to prepare it, prepare us for it. Now, what I want you to remember is this. You can turn him down. You, you can, you can say no, but I don't want you to miss out on the blessings that are going to come because you stood up for the Lord, okay? So, as we begin today, I want to kind of have a little fun this morning, and here's the first thing that I want to talk to you about, okay? How many of you have ever gone on YouTube and watched an, a lion trainer? Anybody? Very few, okay. If you haven't, do it this afternoon, okay? And I want to tell you why. It is fascinating. So I did a little research about it, and the first thing I want to share with you is that a lion tamer who's a really good lion tamer, there's three tools of the trade that they use. One is a whip, and they use that to get the lion's attention. The second one is a gun. Well, that's a no-brainer, okay? But the third tool is a stool, a four-legged stool. Now, I don't know about you, but if I, when I think about that, if you were to ask me, so what are the most important tools I would make sure I had that gun with me, right? But what I want you to know that the most important tool 
that a lion tamer has is the four-legged stool. You see, what he does is he picks the stool up by the seat and he thrusts the four legs into the lion's face. You want to know why? Because he knows that the lion will try and focus on all four legs at the same time. When that happens, he gets overwhelmed and a paralysis kind of takes place. The result, he becomes weak, he becomes disabled. You know why? Because his attention is fragmented. Isn't that amazing? All right, now, here's why I say that to you. You know who the most frustrated people are in the world? It's those people who cannot or have problems focusing on one task at a time. All right, take out your phones, would you please? And we're going to have a little fun this morning. And as you can see, I have a question for you. So remember, just go on to the QR code, or you can call the number at 316-800-6161. And even if you're watching at home, you can participate in this. You may get a little bit of a delayed reaction, but you can still be a part of it. And here's the question I want you to answer. You get one word. What is man's most valuable commodity? One word. So here's what's going to happen. Oh, is my sign in the way? All right. Thank you for doing that, Pastor Aaron. Okay, so here's what I want you to do. Just pick one word, and here's what's going to happen. The words are going to start showing up. If the word gets bigger, it's because it's being used more often, okay? So while you've got your phones, if I'm in your way, I'll try and go over here. But just start, let's just kind of watch the words there, okay? See all the words? Boy, look at all those different words. Boy, family's getting bigger. Family's getting bigger, bigger. Love, there's a few other ones. All right, so love and, and family seem to be the ones that are, are winning right now. All right, now, I'm going to tell you the right answer, okay? The most valuable commodity known to man is this, time. Now, here's what I want you to think about, okay? You can't make time, and you can't buy time. You can only spend time and waste time. And once the time is gone, it's gone. So here's my question for you this morning. So what are you doing with your time? So let's take that one step farther. All right, so I have a, a whiteboard up here, and I'll move it. Remind me to move it in just a little bit, okay? Here's one of the things I want to start out with. One of the things that we all have in common is that each and every week we have 168 hours. Okay, if you take 24 hours and you multiply that by seven, you get 168 hours. We all on the same page? All right, the first thing that we have to do as human beings is we have to rest, we have to sleep. I'm going to assume, I know some of you get more than eight, some of you get less than eight. I'm just gonna say we all get eight hours of sleep. Seven times eight is 56, so you know what? That leaves us with 100 and 12 hours left, okay? All right, now, the next thing we have to do is we have to work, right? All right, so let's just say, I know there's some of you that probably work 50, 60 hours a week. There may be some of you that work part-time. Maybe there's some of you in here are, who are retired. 
but let's just say that we average about 45 hours in a week. All right, so if we subtract the 45 hours from 112 hours, now we have 100, and, or excuse me, we have 67 hours left. We all on the same page so far? Very good. Are you impressed with my math or what? Good, because I have a little cheat sheet right there. All right, so <laughs> I forgot that in first service, didn't I? Okay, now here's the last one. Okay, we have to eat, right? And I know there's three meals a day, so sometimes three is 21. So what I just simply did is I said, okay, let's say that we use 18 hours to eat, okay? And here's what that leaves us with, okay? So we have 49 hours left to live on, okay? So here's my question for you this morning. What are you doing with those 49 hours? What are you working on with those 49 hours? And here's why I ask you that. Whatever you do with those 49 hours, that's how you tell what your passion is. And your life always follows your passion. So whatever you're spending your time on, the majority of your time on, that's the direction that your life is going to go. Now, I want to remind you of something. You're the only one who can spend that time. But once it's gone, it's gone. If you don't like the way your life is going, then all you have to do is change the things that you're spending your time on. Now, here's what I want to remind you of, and this is important, okay? It's important that you identify what the passion is in your life because that's what you value. Now, here's the key. You know why you want to know what you value? Because you worship what you value. Everybody in here worships something. Everybody in the world worships something. They worship that which they value most. So, as we get into today's story, I want you to be reminded of this. Timing is everything. Stand with me out of respect for God's word. As I read from Esther chapter 4, and I'm going to read verses 12 through 14. Here we go. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arrive from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows that you have come to your royal position as such for such a time as this. I want to read that one more time, but I'm going to personalize it. And who knows, Central Community, but that you have come to this place for such a time as this. This is God's word for God's people. Let's pray together. Father, today, would you help me spend my time wisely, using it for things that are eternal and things that matter, not the things that are temporal. And Lord, I pray that today as you speak to my heart, 
it can't just stop in my head. It's got to move to my heart because only when it's in my heart will I be able to see it in my life. I'm praying and I'm believing, Father, that that's what you're going to do. And so may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable before you, my Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. All right. So I need to catch you up on a little bit of what's happened. Last week, we focused most of our attention on in chapter one. And today, the story that we're beginning ends, or begins like this. It tells us that King Xerxes, remember King Xerxes was the head of the Persians. He's walking through his palace one day, and he's missing his queen. Remember his queen, Queen Basti? Remember, she was abolished. She was, she was, she, they got rid of her. She can never come into the king's presence. She is nowhere, and she is a nobody. But the Bible tells us that King Xerxes is missing her. All right, so here's what you need to know. Between chapter 1 and chapter 2 is four years. Do you remember last week when I told you that it opened up with this big feast, this big party? Remember that? And the party lasted 180 days. And remember, he invited all of the nobles, all of his officials in his kingdom. And you remember I told you he had a secret agenda. Do you remember what the agenda was? He wanted to sell them on a military invasion of Greece. For two years, that's exactly what the King Xerxes had been doing. He had been attacking and invading Greece, and he failed. Well, that's kind of a no-brainer because the Greeks are the next world empire that comes about. And so here we have King Xerxes. He's kind of got his tail between his legs because he's been defeated, and now he's missing his queen. Enter all his boys. All of his advisors, his buddies come up and say, hey, King Xerxes, we got a great plan for you. Here's what we're going to do. Let's have a beauty pageant. We'll go throughout all of the empire of Persia, and we'll get every beautiful woman, and we'll bring her here to the palace. We'll send her through the 12-month beautification process, and then we will parade them in front of you one by one, and you, King Xerxes, gets to pick your queen. Some people say there were hundreds of thousands of women that came to the, to the palace at that time. You know what the king thought? Sounds good to me. So while this is going on, as they're going throughout the entire empire, there's one lady that they notice, and her name is Esther. Now, Esther is not her real name. Her Jewish name is Hadassah. But she goes by the name of Esther, and Esther means star. Now, the Bible tells us she was very beautiful. Now, I know some of you are asking, well, I wonder how beautiful she is. Let me tell you how beautiful she was. Everyone who looked on her, the Bible says, she found favor. All right, now I want you to think about this for a moment. As she comes into the palace, even the head eunuch notices her right away. And he assigns her seven special beauticians. Okay, now, so here's what they did. They spent six months receiving um, different kinds of ointments and spices, and then they spent another six months with oil and myrrh. Twelve months 
and then they would be paraded in front of the, the king. All right, so I just want to stop here right now, and I want you all to hear this. Dear, you can go to the beauty parlor anytime you want. You can get your nails done, because I'll take that over 12 months any day, right? I mean, basically what they went to is they went to a spa for 12 months. All right, now, the Bible tells us that as the women began to go in front of King Xerxes, when Esther came, she found favor in the king's eyes. And guess who he chose? He said, I want that one. And Esther became the queen. Now, there's one more thing you need to understand. When Esther became the queen, she had a cousin. His name was Mordecai. Mordecai was the man that pretty much raised Esther because her parents were killed early on. So she gives Mordecai a job in the palace, and here's why, so they can continue to be a family. All right, everybody caught up? Okay, now, here's something that you need to know, and the Bible tells us this. Esther had not revealed her nationality and family background because Mordecai had forbidden her to do so. Okay, so here's the deal. Mordecai and Esther, remember, they're Jews. They were brought over with the Babylonian conquering, okay? And when everybody else went back, they didn't leave with them. Here's maybe the reason why. When the Persians conquered other people, they did not require those that they conquered to get rid of their gods. All they simply said was this. You can worship your gods, but you have to worship the Persian gods, too. All right, now, that's where we have a problem. And here's why we have a problem. You see, one of the things, the prayers that the Jewish people would pray is they prayed twice a day, and it's called the Shema. And here's what they would pray. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So what they were praying was, is we believe that there are no other gods except God, Father, Jehovah, and that's it. All right, now, so here's a question I have for you, and I'm going to first put it to you from the Scriptures. Here's the question. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Okay, that's from Psalm 137, and this is what the people asked when they were taken into exile. So how are we supposed to be Christians in exile? So here's the question that they're asking. How is a person supposed to be a believer in a faithless world? And you know what? I want to ask you the same question. How are we as people of faith, believers, how are we supposed to live in a world that is the majority of people are not believers? And I'm going to give you the answer to it. Here it is. Let your words speak louder than your actions. Did I say that right? No, I didn't. I was just watching. Justin's down here going, here's what it is. Let your actions speak louder than your words. Here's what I mean. The very first time, you don't need to go with a neon shirt that says, I love Jesus on it. And you don't need to go when you meet somebody for the first time. Hi, my name's Bob. I'm a pastor of Central Community Church. I have been a believer all my life. My, papa, my grandfather was a pastor. You know what I mean? All we have to simply do is just allow our actions tell people who we are. So the other day I was over at the gym and I met this new friend of mine and we were working out and it was just the other day and he says to me this, this is what he said to me, he goes, hey, see that lady over there? 
And I looked over there. She was an older lady walking with one of the trainers. I didn't know who she was. I'd never seen her before. And this is what he said to me. He said, she drives me crazy. It was Zach, okay? She drives me crazy. And I go, why do you say that? And here's what he said. She's always got a smile on her face. Every morning when I come in, she says, good morning. She says, how are you doing? Have a good workout. When I leave, she comes and finds me and says, have a great day. And then he said to me, he said, she's got to be drinking something. (laughs) But then he said this, you know what? Whatever she's drinking, I want some of it. Okay, as soon as I heard that, there's a Bible passage that came to my mind. God said, we're supposed to be the salt of the earth. And by our actions, when we become salty, what's the rest of the world supposed to become? Thirsty, right? Doesn't the Bible tell us that we, she says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven, right? Now, I don't want you to miss this next point because this is really important. The world is not turned off by God. They just don't trust you and I. I'm sorry, but that's the truth. I hear people all the time say, yeah, you Christians. First thing you want to do is you want to judge me. Every time I walk in, you feel like you're better than I am. That is the farthest thing from the truth. That's not what we're supposed to do, is it? And that's not what Esther did. Esther just simply let her actions tell people who she was. Well, how do you know, Pastor Bob? Here's why. Look at what the scriptures say. When people's lives please the Lord, even their enemies are at peace with them. So here's my challenge for you this week. Just be a light somewhere. Don't tell everybody that you're a believer and all that. Just let your words, your actions, tell them who you are. All right, now, let's get back to the story. There's a problem, okay? And you need to know the problem, and here it is. This is kind of cool. After these events, King Xerxes honored Haman. Okay, now Haman was a guy that, that King Xerxes said, you know what, this is going to be my second command. Now look, it says, he honored Haman, the son of, son of Hamadetha, the Agagite. Okay, isn't that a fun name to say? Agagite, okay. Elevating him and giving him a seat of honor higher than that of all the other nobles. All the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid honor to Haman, for the king had commanded this concerning him. But Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor. Now, the question that I want to ask is this. Is, so what's Mordecai's problem? He's supposed to, by his actions, demonstrate who he is. But he will not bow down before, before Haman. And Haman sees it. And it drives Haman nuts. All right, now. Here's what happens. Haman is a descendant of the Agagites. The Agagites were under King Agag. These were the Amalekites, okay? Now, as soon as you hear that word Amalekites, if you've read the Bible a lot, something should start springing up, and you go, you recognize that name, remember? The Amalekites, remember when the Lord brought the children of Israel out of Egypt? He brought them in the wilderness. It was the Amalekites who attacked them. 
And God said he would get even for them because they attacked the Israelites when they had no weapons, they had nothing. They were just sitting ducks. All right, now, everybody up with me so far? Okay. Do you remember when the Israelites said to the prophet Samuel, we want to be like everybody else? Remember that? And what did they mean by that? They wanted a king. And so Samuel said, okay, I'll give you a king. His name is Saul. Saul was the son of Kish from the tribe of Benjamin. Saul asked the Lord, can I go and fight the Amalekites? God said, yes. However, destroy them. Wipe them out. Kill everything and everyone. So Saul goes to battle with them, and he wins this incredible battle, and then he throws a big party. Well, here comes Samuel, the prophet, and he sees Saul, and Saul's got a smile on his face. They're having a great time. And Samuel says, what's all the partying for? And Saul told me, he says, we just defeated the Malachites. God gave us a great victory. And then Saul, Samuel said, well, what's all the bleeding of the lambs that I'm hearing then? And then Samuel found out that Saul did not kill King Agag. So the prophet Samuel said, bring Agag in front of me. And he did. You know what Samuel did to him? Chopped him into pieces. All right, now. Mordecai is a Jew. He's from the line of Kish, the Benjaminite. Do you see what's happening now? We have a century-old enemies here. We have Haman, who was an Amalekite, and we have Mordecai, who was from the Jewish people, and now they meet, and this century-old battle has come up once again. That's why Mordecai won't bow down. All right, now, watch what happens. Day after day, they spoke to him, but he refused to comply. Therefore, they told Haman about it to see whether Mordecai's behavior would be tolerated, for he had told them he was a Jew. Uh-oh, we got a problem now. You know what the problem is? Now everybody knows that Mordecai's a Jew. So what do you think Haman's going to do about this? Well, let's see. Look at this. Oops, I went too far, I think. Yep, there we go. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor, he was enraged. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. All right, now here's what I want you to understand. This is what racism looks like. This is the core of racism, where an entire people are supposed to pay for the sins of one man. What is Haman's plan? Wipe out the Jewish nation. He wants to destroy all of them, get rid of all of them. Now, here's my question for you. Just take a whiff. Do you smell the stench of the devil in this? From the very beginning of time in the garden, all through the Old Testament, the devil had one goal in mind. You know what it is? If I can eliminate the Jewish nations, I can keep the Savior from coming. Do you understand that? That was his plan from the beginning. The devil is using him as a pawn because he thinks if he destroys the Jewish nation, he can keep the Savior from coming. Anybody know what that looks like? 
Well, let me tell you, all of you do. Right now, we have a war going on, don't we, between Russia and Ukraine, do we not? Do you know the president of Ukraine? Do you know what his background is? He's Jewish. The same thing is still happening right before our eyes. Only it's not just the Jewish people who are God's chosen people. It's anyone who calls on the name of Jesus. That is who Satan wants to destroy. I guarantee you, what just happened here this morning with those family members who got baptized, boy, we ticked Satan off. But I want you to remember something. Satan is the father of lies. He cannot tell the truth. The only thing he can tell is lies. And here's what I know. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And when Satan comes a-knocking on the door of my heart, what does the Bible tell us we do? We just use the Scriptures. That's what Jesus did, right? Three times, he said, and the Bible reminds us, if you resist the devil, he will what? He will flee. Why? Because when we tell Satan, okay, Satan, you can tempt me, you can test me all you want, because I know what you only speak is lies. But here's what I want to remind you of. I'm sealed in the blood of Jesus, and I know where I'm going to be in my home, but buddy, I know where you are going to be, and that's where you're, you know it too, and you watch and see Satan run from you, right? That's what we need to remember. All right, now, let's go on with the story. Here we go. If it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them. This is Haman's plan now. And I will give them 10,000 talents of silver to the king's administrators for the royal treasury. So the king took his signet ring from his finger and gave it to Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. Keep the money, the king said to Haman, and do with the people as you please. Now there was a rule that the Medes and Persians had, and this is what it said. Once a law was made, it could never be revoked no matter what. Even the king couldn't change it. So now all the Jewish nation knows, we've got 11 months, and guess what? We're all going to be put to death. So what are they involved? What do you think they're feeling? Fear. Now, here's something you need to understand. We're almost done here. All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned by the king has, got, has but one law. Here's what it is. That they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. So here's what's happened now. Mordecai knows about the plan, and he's got to get to Esther. Esther, you've got to help us. And this is what Esther tells him. Well, you know the rule. The rule is, is that nobody can go in front of the king because all these people were being assassinated. Only if you went to the king and he extended his scepter, his gold scepter, could you be received. All right, now then the Bible tells us something really interesting. It's been 30 days since the queen has been in there. Now, here's what came to my mind is this. Absence makes the heart grow fonder, right? Take a look at this in research. This is research, what research tells us. People will invest more in relationships where there is a risk of the relationship weakening. So here's what happens now. Esther now realizes, okay, I'm the only one who can save the people, and here's what happens. He sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house that you alone of all the Jews will escape. 
For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such as a time as this. This is what, what Mordecai sends to Esther, and here's how she responds. So gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. And here's what she says then. And my attendants will fast and you do as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So here's what Esther is saying. She's saying, I understand my position right now. I need everybody to begin fasting and praying. Remember what fasting does is it speeds up prayer. I want everybody to be fasting and praying for me. Now I'm going to do the same. And then I'm going to go stand in the king's presence. And here's what happens. If I die, I die. Now, I want to just begin to close this by asking you this question, okay? You realize that your faith cannot grow unless it is stretched and unless you endure issues, problems, trials, tribulations. That's how God grows our faith. So when you say, I want my faith to grow, be careful, because the way God does that is through trials and tribulations. Here's what I want you to remember. Your faith cannot grow unless it is challenged. And just because you're in church here, don't think that you can maintain your faith just by coming to church. No, faith must be exercised. Okay, I have two of the trainers here that, at Genesis, um, Genesis here, Tiger and Shelby, okay? And you know what? This is what I watch them do every week. In fact, I saw them both do it this last week. They have their clients that they work out with, and I watch them, and their clients are getting to the point where they can't do another single repetition. And then here's what I say to them. Okay, three more. And it's like, are you kidding me? They're almost dying the way it is. But here's what they know. Unless that muscle is put under stress, unless it is challenged, it will never grow. And that's what I want you to hear this morning. All those trials, all those difficult things that you're going through in life right now, maybe it's you got a bad diagnosis. Maybe, maybe you have some financial issues. Whatever the problem, whatever the issue it is, Look at it from God's point of view that he's not using it to destroy you, but he's using it to grow you. Why? So that your faith can be stronger and he can use you for such a time as this. When God comes into my life, the very first feeling that I feel is fear. Because he's asking me to do something that is bigger than me. But I want you to understand something. That fear automatically moves me to faith. And here's what I want you to remember. Fear paralyzes. Fear builds mountains. But faith tears the mountains down. There's coming a time when our church when we as individuals are going to be called by God to step out and represent him. And the question is, is what will we do? And I just say, you know what we need to do? We need to follow the example of Esther. We need to embrace the difficulties that we go through and we need to recognize the fear and then step out in faith and watch God move. Because faith that is not stretched to its capacity is not faith. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this message that you've given to us from Esther. 
And Lord, we're living in the very days going through some of the same things that she experienced with Mordecai. I know, Lord, that none of us are here by accident. We're here by your providence. It didn't happen by chance. And I'm asking, Lord, that you would remind us that everything that we're going through, you are going to use for your purposes. Help us, Father, this week to lead not by our words, but by our example. And Father, when you come and we, you ask us to step out in faith for you, may we, even though we may feel fear, may we remember that only a little bit of faith, you tell us, the faith is, is, as small as a mustard seed can totally remove that mountain. So God, thank you for the trials. Thank you for the tribulations. We embrace them because we know they will be used for your purposes. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Would you please?